CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is sponsored by Circle and Near. Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Michael Casey. Hello and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey. What is it with sports and crypto? Major League Baseball, the NBA, Tom Brady, Spencer Dinwiddie, Lionel Messi. The list of sporting institutions and athletes who've dabbled in NFTs and other crypto projects is impressive. At Coindesk's consensus conference in Austin this year, we even rented out a parking lot to build a separate mini arena dubbed Sport Court to discuss this relationship. I think the connection stems from the fact that other than providing a system of sound money, crypto value proposition that most resonates is that it helps create and grow a sense of community among distinct groups of users. Crypto rewards incentivize actions that reinforce a sense of belonging. And as the Board 8 Yacht Club's success demonstrated, digital assets such as NFTs can function as tickets for exercising membership rights, with their value rising the more members engage with each other to build community. And, other than religion, and perhaps the K-pop megaband BTS, there are no communities to which people feel a greater sense of impassioned belonging than sports fandoms. Think of diehard Red Sox fans, or the warlike clashes between the Rangers and the Celtics, Glasgow's two big soccer teams, or the millions that brands pay to athletes to wear their gear in the hope of connecting with their fans. Feelings run strong in sport. It's little wonder then that so many crypto entrepreneurs see a gold mine in tapping into these hotbeds of passion. Until recently, it seemed that sports star-driven NFT drops were happening daily. And with the rise of decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs as they're known, projects have sprung up, which in theory would allow fans to collectively invest in their favorite sports teams, including one launched by one of today's guests. As we grapple with crypto winter, with the value of NFTs having plunged, and the gravy train of easy money screeching to a halt, many questions persist around this strange marriage of crypto and sports. Are fans being left with something of lasting value that enhances their engagement with their favorite teams and athletes, or are they merely being exploited for money? What do these projects mean for the traditional contractual relationships in sport, such as between athletes and the teams they represent? And there's that old nagging issue. How do regulators see this, especially securities regulators? 
To discuss, we're joined by Coindesk contributing writer Jeff Wilzer, who has been penning pieces on this topic, and by Sean O'Brien, who helped launch the Buy the Broncos DAO, which was set up to fund an acquisition of the storied Denver football team. Before we throw some questions at them, let's say hello to my co-host, Sheila Warren. Hi, Sheila. Hey, Michael. Now, as regular you know, viewers and listeners to this show slash podcast would know, you can talk about pretty much anything. It's one of those sort of amazing qualities you have. I thought I might be able to stump you by saying, ha-ha, sport. Can Sheila get there? Uh, but you assured me that, no, you're going to own this as well. And that occurred to me. Then I could be like, okay. I'm not going to lie. Okay, good, good. All right, good. I'm glad this is going to be fun. But it did occur to me that, you know, we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the last couple of years, but I don't know definitively where your fandoms lie. I'm guessing, you know, you're out there, Bay Area, so you're Giants, 49ers, Golden Gate Warriors. Is there anything else or is is that what it is? Warriors. It's Dub Nation all the way. That is definitely the family. We're all basketball folks. I grew up with the Lakers, which is interesting transition that I've made over to Dub Nation. So that's not without its own country. And, you know, I I certainly can run with (laughs) Raider Nation, which was uh, out here for some time, subsequently shifted away from Oakland, but not unfamiliar with the concept of a rabid fan and have, in fact, there may be some photographic evidence from pre-social uh, media days of me in a compromising There's, there's some photos position. out there of you <laughs> going wild with some face paint on or something. I'm going to dig them up. I'm going to dig them up at some point. They're out there. The internet doesn't lie, They Sheila. do exist. You and far between. They do exist. I will okay. say, sports is not the place. I, what I know, I know. And what I don't know, I have literally no idea. Although, right. yeah. my husband got me really into soccer at one point. So now I feel like, or, you know, football, depending on who you yeah. are. So. At least I know how that game works. <laughs> right. As a transplanted Aussie, I've had to really reckon with the fact that, you know, it's hard to talk to people about cricket and Australian rules football and things like that, but you know, have had a crash course in these strange sports that you Americans play. But anyway, <laughs> all, right, listen, all right, enough of this. Why don't we bring in the guest? Uh, Jeff, I'm going to go throw to you first here. You, you wrote an article for Coindesk for, for Sports Week last week about some of this stuff. Why, in your mind, are sports and crypto in this strange marriage? Yeah, I think you used a great word earlier, and that's community, right? Crypto, for better or worse, one thing crypto does really well is community. And that could be brilliant, can be toxic, but they build strong communities. And sports communities everywhere. And it's also often pretty decentralized, right? There are millions, millions, let's say, Dallas Cowboys fans around the world, right? And so DAOs can be a way to mobilize all of those people who have that rabid passion. Two things surprised me as I dug into research for this piece. One is that oftentimes fans, they have kind of untapped abilities, right? They have like a Dallas Cowboy, by the way, I hate the Cowboys. I don't want to use an example, but (laughs) Dallas Cowboys fans, there are probably lawyers. There are marketing executives. There are actual people with real skills who have to be Cowboys fans. They're willing to do that for free. They're willing to think about the salary cap on their free time at midnight with insomnia for the hell of it, right? And DAOs can be a way to let fans actually use their skills to help their team. That's one thing. Second thing is that I had imagined when I started this, the kind of the extreme end game where, you know, the almost science fiction version where all these fans using their phone, thanks to the, their tokens in the DAO, are able to decide real time. Should the Broncos go for two or should they kick a field goal or should they, should they punt and make those real-time calls? And that's fairly a pretty speculative out there idea. 
But what intrigued me is there's a lot of middle grounds and far more plausible scenarios between where we are today and that kind of wild world. And I'm sure it's something that our friends by the Broncos will discuss, that there are kind of intermediate versions that might actually make sense for people like NFL owners who might not care about crypto, but they do care about money and potentially a lot of money in it for people like NFL and NBA owners. Yeah, fascinating Like to think about where this could go as, as broadly as it is. Uh, Sean, I want to bring you in here, but uh, the preface here, just putting this on the table, my youngest daughter, Analia, who's going to either feel good or terrified that I just put her name on the air, <laughs> is about to go off to college to start a sports management degree. You know, I'd love to know whether she should be studying sports DAOs right from the outset as something she should be doing. What's your answer to that? But beforehand, just explain to us the Broncos project. Sure. I have a quick response to Analia, and that, that is I, I wouldn't pretend to uh, want to give her career advice, but, but certainly we believe DAOs are making their way into the mainstream. And, and in a few years, it will be a, a business model that people will consider outside of just an LLC, a C Corp, an S Corp, and that sort of thing. But yeah, and you guys mentioned at the outset kind of the strange marriage of DAOs and sports. We actually think it's a perfect marriage. As background, the Denver Broncos, the former owner of the Denver Broncos, Pat Bowen, he passed a few years ago. And there were some complexity with respect to his estate, the Broncos being part of that estate. And so we knew, and I think most of uh, Broncos country knew for quite some time, that the team was going to go up for sale in an estate sale style auction. And so we had begun, I guess, the preparatory work to try to make some sort of play a little while ago, knowing that most likely in 2022, this year, that estate sale would occur. And the concept is fairly straightforward. You know, we're talking about fans. I do want to also include the idea that, that the NFL Constitution and bylaws technically allow for players, coaches, and the administrative staff of a team to also be owners of a team. So our concept expands beyond just the fans themselves, which is vital and important, but also to the players. So there are current Broncos players who, in theory, could be owners of the Denver Broncos while they play for the team. There's a requirement within the NFL Constitution bylaws that they sell their ownership stake were they to be traded. But we believe that this is a whole new value prospect, not only for the fans, but also for the players themselves, because, you know, players are oftentimes treated like commodities. I'm from Oakland originally, right? My, my first heartbreak when, as a kid was when Will Clark was traded away from the Giants. <laughs> I was like, how could they do that to the thrill? You know, like it, it was one of those Bambi's mother type moments for me, right? As a sports fan, as a little kid, as we, we grow up, we kind of just begin to think that that's just how things have to be. But with a Dow, not only can fans be owners, but also, you know, we feel like we can reward players. They're the ones who break their backs every Saturday or Sunday or Monday night for us, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just want to jump in on that because I couldn't agree more. I and mean, I think that this is an ongoing conversation that's happening, I think, with increasing vehemence around it on behalf of fans who are kind of saying the risk is not even here. Like the risk that players are taking, the risk of injury, the risk uh, of their reputation, the risk of losing their jobs over some misstep, whatever it might be, is not evenly held. And so I love the model you're talking about where you're saying we're actually creating a stakeholder model where we're saying who are the different actors in this ecosystem that have stake in the system beyond just the fans and the owners and even like the league itself, which I think is fantastic. And then we didn't even get into like, college ball, like all that, you know, all that stuff, right? It's patient to go pro early. What does that mean? What does it not mean? What are the rules around that? So all of that is just extremely complicated stuff. And so I think that this is ripe 
from the creator, I think the athlete here is the creator to a large extent. So from the creator perspective, you can kind of see the parallels are really obvious to me, you know, to music and to artists, visual artists and other kinds of things. But I want to focus for a second just on fans. Okay. So anyone who thinks sure. that fans haven't monetized their enthusiasm is like, I mean, I got a lot to sell yet. Right. So, I mean, starting from like Madden and just gaming and, you know, who, who's going to win and just basic betting into fantasy leagues. I mean, there's just a lot of monetization that happens around this stuff beyond just kind of straight up gambling, like just in terms of kind of other kinds of things, right? Where, that I would argue, argue, I would argue require, you're, you're basically monetizing your knowledge and your support of this kind of industry. So let's talk a little bit, I want to start with, whether it's NFTs or DAOs, maybe let's just start with NFTs first and maybe, you know, maybe we'll, we'll throw uh, over, we'll just think about that first. What is the actual value to fans of some of these projects? Right. So is it just and some say this, to be fair, I'm not it's not me, but some say it's just kind of a way of tapping, you know, easy, cheap financing. Right. Because like fans are very rapid to the points that have been made. They're going to overspend. They're going to get enthusiastic and they're going to kind of rise and fall with the success or failure of an athlete or the team. Right. Others would say that the returns are about the community we've been talking about, being part of that community and having the stake in the system, feeling like you're engaging, participating in a way that is meaningful to the team, right? That actually has some mutual benefit. Yours is financial, but it's also part of this community and to the point, you know, this is a global community all, all around all these teams. So I guess I just want to get a frame. Well, actually, let's start with the DAO concept. Like, how are you thinking about the real value to the fans specifically in the model that you've got going on? We already have precedence of fan quasi-owned teams, right? Like, look, as a very simple data point, Look at the Green Bay Packers. You know, they're kind of grandfathered in the NFL bylaws of having this kind of fans literally own shares of a team. But they can't do much with that. But there's still this kind of like enormous pride. I used to have a roommate. It was a huge, huge Packers fan. And he had this kind of stock certificates frames. It's kind of ugly. It was in a living room, whatever. And he points out like, aha, I'm a Packers owner. And Packers fans are massively loyal to their team. Now, is it a coincidence, correlation, causation? Who knows? But even having that kind of like tenuous, you know, very thin link to ownership excites Packers fans. You know, Packers fans are excited when their grandfather dies and they get their shares. Now, DAOs, in theory, could provide that baseline level of literal ownership and loyalty, plus through the wizardry of smart contracts, actual practical things they could do too, right? Even if fans aren't in the pie in the sky world deciding, ah, do we go for two points here? There might, in theory, be ways they could have a seat at the table. There might be ways that they can contribute to a board of directors of an NFL team, right? If fans have some kind of ownership stake. So I think DAOs in a current baseline, non-crypto, non-DAOI world, there's really no mechanism to allow it to happen, but the DAOs could be potentially a smart way to kind of harness that enthusiasm and let fans literally be more engaged. And on a more cynical note, it lets for the NFL team or NBA team or whatever, it lets them monetize more, right? They have, whether back to your original question, Sheila, NFT or DAOs, it's NFTs. When a fan goes to buy a stupid styrofoam Broncos number one thing, they leave a stadium, that thing's kind of worthless, but the fans are like, yay, I spent 80 bucks on this. Now, if that NFT is dynamic, it lets the league or the team potentially interact with that fan in the future. So I think at the very baseline level, 
it's a mechanism that could spur and boost fan engagement and monetization. Sean would love to hear your thoughts on this too. It's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks, Sheila. You know, you're from Oakland. The A's right now are in a constant battle as to whether they're going to move to Vegas. And every yep. time any high-level person from Oakland is spotted in a Las Vegas airport, you know, the city loses its mind. And you know, what Jeff <laughs> is mentioning is the Green Bay is one of the smallest, I think, if not the smallest marketplace for an NFL team in our league. And it is one of the most secure, if not the most secure team when it comes to never leaving Green Bay. They will never leave Green Bay. And so our perspective is that at the very basic, most fundamental, foundational uh, kind of root uh, scenario, fans having ownership in a team guarantees that that team stays put. They don't just pick up and leave because a new city starts to, you know, whisper sweet nothings in their ear about tax breaks to the wealthy owner, et cetera. And then they just leave a big, huge stadium, which, I mean, Oakland is unfortunately the poster child right now with the Raiders. They lost Golden State to San Francisco, and they're probably going to lose the A's, to be honest. We'd like to think that they couldn't. And if, and if we had the opportunity, we'd like to make that change. But getting to the most basic fundamental point, that's it. Um, also, when you're talking about NFTs, you know, NFTs, I think, have a lot of wow factor for a lot of people. But we believe more in the utility of an NFT as opposed to the design. For us, a DAO is a complete system, whereas an NFT, you know, crypto blockchain, smart contracts, those are individual tools that compiled together, create this finalized solution to fan ownership. And then gets a little bit into what Michael mentioned in the beginning. We can talk about this later, but the compliance and regulatory side, we believe that how you set up an NFT, how you set up your tokenomics, et cetera, will heavily weigh into you know SEC and regulatory scrutiny and things of that nature. But to get back to your original kind of question of value to the fans, yeah, what we're trying to do and what a lot of folks are doing, there are a lot of smart cookies out there, right? Trying to do the same thing or something similar. What we're trying to do is we're trying to navigate the compliance and regulatory realities that we have in, especially in the United States, the SEC being one of the, if not the most burdensome, shall we say, in a positive way, regulatory agency in the world when it comes to securities, but also, you know, navigating the NFL and their ownership structure as it stands right now. And can we walk that tightrope line of of meeting the standards that they require, while at the same time, all giving the value to a fan in the form of actual ownership. And if there is, and we're a for-profit you know, enterprise, right? The Green Bay Packers is not for profit, and they've been grandfathered in specifically as the only not-for-profit that can exist in the NFL Association. Um, we are for-profit. And so in theory, if there's a profitable operation of the Broncos, and if we were able to you know, squeak out a percentage ownership in that situation, the fans would actually be able to avail themselves of the pecuniary benefits that come from successful operation of the Broncos. So there's a there's an actual financial benefit that we're trying to employ. Whereas I think a lot of these you know team efforts in the past, like Socios, well they're still the current right, but Socios, I do believe that that's been a little more of trying to extract a little bit more from the fans, but not give them true ownership. Whereas we're kind of coming from the opposite angle, which is to say we want actual ownership, we want voting rights. You know, to Jeff's point, I would love for, you know, fans elected by the Dow, players elected by the Dow to be able to sit at the ownership table when it comes to discussions of how the team operates and things. Not the day to day, not the day to day, but but the general kind of trajectory of a team and things. It's we believe it's vital that the players and the fans be part of those conversations, which they are not now. The other sort of benefits of of other sorts of, you know, like you can give the Dow slash member owners 
discounts for merch, you know, early access to season tickets. You can give them NFTs and PO apps and other sorts of digital assets for attending games, watching games, all of those sorts of things that a lot of folks have certainly probably covered with you guys are, are other benefits. But at the end of the day, the fans are the lifeblood of the team that they should have their fistful of dirt when it comes to the ownership stake, in our opinion. Join us for Converge 22, Circle's first annual conference on the blockchain-driven future of money, coming this September to San Francisco. Converge 22 is a gathering for what's next in Web3, featuring demos and developer workshops, plus guest speakers like our very own Money Reimagined co-host Sheila Warren, Ave's Stanley Kulikov, Compound's Robert Leshner, and Solana's Anatoly Yakovenko. Money Reimagined listeners get a special discount with the code COINDESK. Register today at converge.circle.com. Near is a revolutionary yet simple Web3 platform for building decentralized apps. Designed by developers for developers, over 700 projects are now building on Near's fast, secure, and scalable protocol. Whether you're a crypto native launching DeFi apps, NFT marketplaces, and play and earn games, or looking to migrate your project from Web2, NIR makes it easy to build Web3 for the masses. NIR offers developers a variety of tools, resources, and support for building apps, empowering communities, and creating a more fair, inclusive, and equitable future. Start your Web3 developer journey now by visiting NIR at NIR.org. I mean, look, there's a whole conversation we could have about the monetization of leisure and capitalism and all this kind of stuff. Like, would you enjoy it as much if you had like, you know, financial stake in the system and it didn't go your way? Would you be like, oh, man, you know, whole conversation that we can just kind of bookmark unless we want to go there. But I want to, Sean, ask a follow up just for our listeners who aren't as familiar sure. with how DAOs function and all that. Right. So let's go back to the example you made about, well, you know, Oakland and like the, the loss of potentially all sports teams from, from you know, lovely Oakland and, and the tragedy and well, I'll put my view out there, the tragedy that that would be just logging that for the record. Nevertheless, how would it actually work? So it, right now, to your point, you know, it's consolidated control, right? So you have the owner of the team, they make a lot of decisions, they have to go to the league. It's not quite as simple as that. They have to kind of get permission around this and there's bidding. It, it's a process, but certainly, you know, fans and athletes really have no uh, not even visibility, frankly, into that process. Although to your point, everyone's always guessing like where are people flying and all this kind of stuff, who is spotted where and kind of things, speculations, right? Mm -hmm. How would it actually work in a DAO? So it sounds like what you're suggesting is, you know, the DAO, the members of the DAO kind of maybe vote on like a council or some kind of group. How are you thinking about this in the context of your DAO, just for those of our listeners who aren't as familiar with how these work? Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I mean, let's, let's start at the most basic level. Like, let's say, you know, we five like pizza and we collectively say, hey, we're going to each put 20% into the you know pot to go buy a pizza joint on the corner. And I know that some people will kill me for this, but that's essentially the essence of a DAO just across the globe. You can set up just like in any corporation, like a formal corporation, what constitutes a quorum when it comes to voting. You can set up you know, what things can and cannot be voted on. For example, we five may collectively say, hey, you know what, no matter what, Michael determines what the name of the pizza joint is going to be called. Or we can say we collectively vote and each person has one vote. So there are different ways that we, that we can set it up. Our tooling is upside down. And on upside down, you have the ability to not only have chat and channels and, and quorums discussed amongst members of the DAO, 
but proposals can be put up for voting on and then the DAO can vote. And, and so it depends on the DAO, right? Some DAOs have very, very low participation. And then other DAOs have very high levels of participation. And so it really does, I think, come down to the nature of what you're trying to accomplish. You know, the reality is, is that a lot of the DAOs that, you know, that, that we're a part of or we're working on in this respect do have a little bit of a, a centralized origin. And so some folks, you know, again, with like the Denver Broncos, we don't want, in theory, right, we don't want the DAO trying to vote to change the name of the Denver Broncos to the Bodie McBoat faces, you know, like it's just not part of the the equation. We want it to mature where the DAO increases with its responsibilities. But we're, we're here to say, hey, look, we're not trying to overturn the apple cart. We're trying to build upon what currently exists in the NFL ownership structure and the NFL operations. And that includes bringing in fans to ownership because we know that when when fans become owners, they spend more. That's the honest to goodness truth, right? And they, you know, it's the difference between being a tenant and owning your property, right? You take better care of it, you invest in it because you have more to gain long term because you actually now own a piece of that pie. And so to answer your question again more directly, is that with every DAO, it is going to depend. And I think it depends on the nature of what the DAO is trying to accomplish. There are a lot of great opportunities. You know, Michael has mentioned at the outset of this, you know, the, the building of community and engagement. You know, we view DAOs as being something that can supersede a lot of these organizations when it comes to unhoused people or food scarcity. The honest to goodness truth is that that stuff doesn't get the same sort of press as let's buy the Denver Broncos. And, and so we hope that this forms kind of that bridge, that nexus between Web3 and the real world so that people can see the utility of a DAO and begin to implement that in their own lives or in their own kind of, you know, pursuits. Each one of those pursuits is really going to depend on whether, you know, it's every single day, everyone wakes up and the DAO has to vote on what's going to be done that day in theory, right? Again, I know that's not, you know, that's not going to really happen, but that, or it's a situation where, you know, there's a central group that says, hey, you know, we're, you know, trying to fly to Mars, right? We have to be able to have the operational control to make daily decisions, but people can collectively invest in this effort, you know, and be part of it and have an ownership stake if it succeeds. Is that too wordy? I hope that was helpful. No, I think no, it's good. It's I, first of all, thanks for sort of giving me the naming rights for the pizza place. I think I, it's always something I've wanted, so that, 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 that's all, appropriate. Michael, uh, I, would, I would want nothing less, brother. I would want nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, let's go to the, the sort of elephant in the room here. And, you know, I want both of you to weigh in, Jeff. You've written a lot about regulation yourself in different areas of this, and so you, you can weigh in. But I do want to go to Sean first. You mentioned that there's a centralized element to this, right? And in the big debate over what is the security and what's not, the question of whether or not the founding organization behind the particular project is centralized or decentralized is proving to be a factor in whether or not, you know, the yeah. SEC or any other regulatory agency for that matter views this as something that has that, you know, fiduciary responsibility that a security structure would require. So I know you guys have thought hard about it. You know, how are you, you know, going after what we might call the Gary Gensler problem? I can speak for ourselves that there are DAOs, you know, that operate in a much more decentralized fashion than the way that we've set ourselves up. And we fully recognize that when we establish ourselves as a legal entity in Colorado, there's now a target were the SEC to want to, you know, do the perform the colonoscopy, shall we say. <laughs> and so our from the legal side, we spent a lot of time on this. And certainly, you know, it's not to say that we have all of the answers. We think that we have the right answers. And we hope that 
it not only succeeds, but it can form as, you know, the template for other people to follow and um, doing what we're trying to do. But the main distinction between what we're doing and what we've seen done in the past or currently in other operations is that our legal entity is a cooperative, not an LLC, not an S-corp, not a C-corp, but we are a legal cooperative, technically an LCA formed in the state of Colorado. And the big difference between a cooperative and most other corporate entities out there, cooperatives are for profit. You guys may be familiar with some cooperatives. If you've ever had a Blue Diamond Almond, they're a cooperative. If you've ever shopped at REI, they're a cooperative. Um, I'm a member of REI, for example. As a member of a cooperative, it's different and distinct because typically most for-profit enterprises are higher, hierarchical in nature, and they're specifically designed to concentrate wealth and power at the top and then usually extract that wealth in the form of you know, C-suite you know, level salaries, stock options, things of that nature. A cooperative typically is much more flattened in nature. It's designed to recycle the profits back to the members of the cooperative. So for example, if we five were to be part of the Denver Broncos, you know, by the Broncos Dow, as members of the cooperative, we not only uh, are able to avail ourselves of the financial benefits that flow from its successful operation, but as members, we provide what's called patronage. So, you know, in the form of REI, when I buy that gear uh, as a member, I'm providing patronage to the cooperative, which allows me to receive a dividend at the end of the year. And that's what REI does. They give a dividend to all of its members based on their spending. Now, patronage can come in different forms. You know, as Jeff mentioned, right, it could come in the form of research, right? He somehow is buddies with Fertitta. Fertitta is the owner of, of Houston, right, Jeff, keep me honest. You know, somehow he's buddies with Fertitta and they form a cooperative and Jeff is doing like yeoman's work in terms of research and finding you know, new talent in places that Fertitta doesn't have scouts or things like that. That can be a, a form of, of patronage. Attending games is a form of patronage. Watching games is a form of patronage. Engaging in the metaverse is a form of patronage. All of this actually helps the cooperative succeed. And I'll get to the, the key point here, Michael, is that in, in nearly all cases, a cooperative, if you operate a cooperative in a successful fashion, the financial benefits that come from successful operation of that cooperative that then are distributed down back to the members are not considered securities. They're not subject and regulated by the SEC. And so if we do something along the lines of what we are doing, which is an NFT, which is soul bound, it's an SBT, a soul bound NFT, a soul bound token, that is your membership card in the cooperative, right? Just like my, I have a membership in REI, that uniquely identifies me, you, in theory, uh, participating by the Broncos, you would get a soulbound token, which is your unique ID, your unique membership ID. And so that utility allows us to then white label a lot of other digital assets and a lot of other benefits, financial and otherwise, that flow from successful operation of the, of the DAO, aka the cooperative, to you as a member. And our smart legal eagles spent a lot of time going through this and, you know, our supposition is that this is not something that is regulated or uh, going to be viewed by the SEC as a security. And if it is, obviously, we have stopgap measures in place that we can make adjustments. But, but that's, that's our main kind of overall assessment. I think it's interesting to see the, the cooperative model and whether or not that resolves the problem. I, my sense about the way the SEC is approaching these things is like it's, it's going to find the security. Hundreds of, hundreds of years of precedent. It, it, good, it, the good. cooperative has in yeah, the US yeah. and other countries, right? Yeah, it is a widely used model and it has a, a lot of different, and it does seem to me to be a good match for DAOs. But we'll see, right? Because the SEC, it seems to me, is trying to like find the, an answer to the Howey test uh, wherever it can. 
Um, so, so Jeff, though, like, just what's... one comment on there, really? Yeah, quickly, sure, sure. Which is just to say, you know, we're in a, a universe now where I would, I would ordinarily say, you're right. There's so much common law and other precedent around this, but we're in a world where president has suddenly <laughs> ceased to become dispositive. Yeah. So, be interesting to see how you know this might be a way. years can be erased pretty quickly. That's yeah. right. That's it's right. Precedent is a fuzzy seen, word, uh, really. Sheila. It's, it's, it's. Yes, maybe it's spelt differently. P r e s i d e n t. Yeah, uh, well, but Michael, to your point on the Howey test, you know, again, th that's the point of patronage as a member, yeah. is that it, it overcomes the Howey test. If someone doesn't provide patronage, obviously their ability to avail themselves of any sort of pecuniary benefit is limited, as is in any cooperative that functions properly, right? But cooperatives, in our estimation, the 18th century Dow, right? It yeah. gave people voting rights or 19th century Dow. It gave people voting rights. It was meant to help a community come together coalesce their resources and then accomplish goals. It's and fascinating. My friend Francesco Rulli, who we had on the show a while ago and has launched an NFT project that's uh, called Patronage NFT, which is about, you know, trying to encourage people to own NFTs, but not for the sake of profit, but really contribute patronage to, to museums and other cultural institutions, I think, would uh, definitely concur with you on this. It's, a, it's an interesting way of framing it. Jeff, though, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Because I suppose... Setting aside the arguments of whether or not, you know, Sean's project does constitute security or not, you know, the thing that's often so frustrating about this is these seem like really good ideas, right? We can sit and talk, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. Hang on, there's this regulatory barrier, right? And I often wonder whether or not at some point this, this rather amorphous, ultimately political debate over these things can be shifted when we bring use, good use cases that people go, you know what, why are we getting in the way of this, right? You know, maybe it's not sports, maybe it's, you know, for environmental social impact or something. But either way, the story around the use case is compelling. Do you think that helps in the, in sure. the debate? I, well, one thing I'll say, I think it's a great question. While I gave that earlier wide-eyed, I'm a Rockets fan, so cool, kind of bullish perspective. Yeah, I, uh, my spidey sense is far more skeptical when it comes to regulatory possibilities. The one thing I'll say that we haven't discussed yet I think it's, at the very least has an adjacent topic to regulation and might come into play is, and this could really help bridge the kind of pie in the sky, $5 billion Dow possibility, which when I first started researching, I was thinking, okay, frankly, that sounds absurd, right? It's one thing to have say, yeah, Dow's are a good idea. Something else to suggest that fans will pony up five plus billion dollars to buy a team. That seems frankly ridiculous. What we haven't really spoke about yet is the possibility of partial ownership. And I'm curious of how that would fit in the regulatory discussion and framework. Let's imagine, for instance, that while a buy the pick your NFL team is unable to pony up $5 billion, they're able to get, let's say, $200 million or $400 million. And frankly, that feels plausible. Given that Constitution Dow got 40 plus million, we know there are millions of fans out there, a lot of money, who might be able to come to the table with 200 plus million. If they're able to buy a slice of, let's say, 10% of an NFL team, that could be very interesting. And what would that look like from a regulatory perspective? I think it's a question that hasn't really been uh, tackled too much. And so I'm kind of curious of what that might look like in the future. Yeah, as always, lots of questions uh, that come from the answers that we're getting from you guys, and maybe we'll have to have you back on to discuss, but that's all we have time for for now. Uh, I'm very pleased that we managed to get through this conversation without having ever mentioned the words winter here. This is a, a bit of a very positive, upbeat discussion about the possibilities of this technology. 
without having to worry about what the hell prices are doing for crypto it's, and, and it's because uh, we're dealing with real world assets michael real yeah, world assets I, 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 I agree 100 percent. i think that you know the extent to which we bring use cases that make sense and there's real world assets and all that sort of stuff i think that is how we how we move forward so uh, great to have you guys on the show. Thank you very much, uh, Jeff Wilzer. Thank you, Sean O'Brien. And thank you, of course, to Sheila Warren, my wonderful co-host. And thank you to all of you for listening, viewing, whatever. Please come back next week for another edition of Money Reimagined. That's all we have time for for now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Money Reimagined. Today's show featured Sheila Warren, Michael J. Casey, and guests Jeff Wilzer and Sean O'Brien. This episode was produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau with announcements by Adam B. Levine. Our theme song is by Shepard. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.